Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Uh, a bit later in the week this time, a little bit my bad for some scheduling stuff, but Josh has been gracious enough to be flexible, and so we're still getting an episode to you of Hangout in the Holy Land as we, we progress through what's, you know, not much left of this offseason, Josh. We're coming up on uh, August is rapidly approaching. We're hitting on our Big Ten previous year, and the season is right around the corner. I can't believe it's almost August, Gene. Uh, it feels like last week was April, uh, and I don't know where the months have gone, but it's good for us, right? We get to talk plenty of season preview stuff and really start talking ball, so I'm excited to move forward and uh, talk some more recruiting and preview some teams. Yeah, for sure. The more, you know, the closer and closer we get to the season, we're getting more and more actual football content to you guys. But as we have been for most of the summer, uh, we do have more recruiting news to kick things off today. Uh, So we'll start, you know, there's some good and some bad. We'll start with the good this week. um, And that's the latest Ohio State commitment. Um, Just this past weekend, the Buckeyes added 2023 tight end Jelani Thurman uh, to their class. He becomes the second tight end in the class alongside Ty Lockwood. He's the number seven tight end in the country, the number 115 player overall in the class. He's actually, you know, after the latest reshuffle in the rankings, he's actually higher rated than Lockwood, um, who is the number nine tight end and number 135 overall. And Thurman's just one of those classic, you know, basketball athletes who excel at the tight end spot. He's highly lauded as a pass catcher. He's got long arms, can go up and get it. Um, And he also plays defensive end. So, you know, showing off a bit of that athleticism, a really good get for Ohio State out of Georgia. Comes from a very athletic family. His dad was a former NFL linebacker and his mother played in the WNBA. And, you know, both of them went to Georgia. So pretty big coup here, good steal away from the Bulldogs. And and not, you know, they they had a very good chance of him as a legacy there. But in the end, he chose Ohio State. And so we knew going into this class that Kevin Wilson and, and the Buckeyes wanted two tight ends in this class, and they wind up getting that with Jelani Thurman. Yeah, I like this guy a lot. Uh, you mentioned basketball sort of prototype, right? 6'6", six, six, power forward kind of guy. So varied skill set, and I, I'm partial to him because his dad, Odell Thurman, played for the Cincinnati Bengals. He was a pretty good linebacker for a couple of years. So I like getting two tight ends. We, you and I have talked about the fact that Ohio State isn't big on tight end usage, but they've always had the athletes. They've always had guys who were able to catch passes when called upon, specifically Jeremy Ruckert, who is probably the best pass catching option they've had in recent years. But I like both of these guys, tall, lanky, but enough room to sort of build out and hopefully develop into blockers in addition to their pass catching prowess that they already have. So a couple of good guys in Thurman and Lockwood. And really, I hope that Ohio State starts to use these guys moving forward. I mean, they are more the Jeremy Ruckert type than the Urban Meyer tight ends, right? Your uh, your Luke Farrell, your Jeff Hireman, guys like that who were primarily blockers but could do some things with the ball in their hands, go up and get some uh, get some passes. So I like the type 
that they're bringing in. I hope that they get them involved in the offense. And it is just another weapon for Ryan Day, Brian Hartline, Kevin Wilson. Props to him for them to kind of get into the fold and use moving forward. I like this one. Yeah, and you mentioned it, you know they brought in a guy last year in in or this past year I should say in Bennett Christian who's more lauded for his blocking abilities. Now you add two guys in this class that are you know better pass catchers, so it, it's really rounding out that tight end room that we know needed some help coming into this season, especially with you know built after you know Jeremy Ruckert's exit, they're they're kind of lacking in the tight end position a little bit, but now it looks like moving forward they're going to have some good guys out there. Um, this latest commitment moves Ohio State back ahead of Notre Dame for that number one spot in the 2023 class. They sneak ahead by less than one point with one. Less commit than the Fighting Irish, um, and their 93.73 per player average trails only Alabama in the 2023 class. So all of that is is good news for Ohio State, but we would be remiss to not get to uh, what has been the bad news for Ohio State in this 2023 class. And it's tough to look at you know the, the top class in the country and be super upset about certain things and and feel bad about the way things are going. But a uh, big loss this past week for Ohio State with 2023 linebacker Tackett Curtis committing to USC. We've talked about him a ton. This is a guy that you know seemed almost certainly a lock for Ohio State to land, um, especially because they need so much help at linebacker. Um, and they, they've now missed out on their top two linebacker targets in this class with Troy Bowles also going to Georgia. And now Curtis committing to USC. And, you know, we, we've talked about a ton. This is a guy that um, Jim Knowles really focused in on pretty much as soon as he got to Ohio State. He was a guy he was recruiting for himself at Oklahoma State as well. And he brought that over to Columbus. And, you know, now they've missed out on him. And it's a troubling thing to see Ohio State missing on these linebackers, especially given their recent struggles at the position. And in addition to that, it looks like they'll also be losing out on five-star safety Caleb Downs, who started to get some crystal balls to Alabama, another guy that Ohio State seemed to be the favorite for and has now now switched up at the last minute. Um, he just announced today that he will be committing sometime next week. So I don't know, Josh. It's it's tough to like, hit the panic button on the Buckeyes when their their recruiting class is number one in the country, but they're missing out on some guys at really key positions. And I know specifically that that Tackett Curtis loss is a big one. Yeah, that one hurts. And I want to hit on both the positions that you brought up. The linebacker loss losses or failures to get commitment, however you want to phrase it. Those ones, I think, are of the utmost importance because we've talked about going back months now and really since I've started with Landgren, we've started doing the pod together. The linebacker play has been subpar, and I think that they've done well to address that. They did well in the 2022 class. Tommy Eichenberg really developed. Steel Chambers has sort of come on, but they have not played like the silver bullets of old, right? So with Tackett Curtis, I'm with you. That seemed like a foregone conclusion. The time and effort Jim Knowles had put into his recruitment, it seemed like he was destined for Ohio State. And now, unless something changes drastically, that uh, that will not be the case. I had talked about him as a potential quarterback of the defense, Um Jim Knowles, he had, had made him such a priority that you're right. It, it's tough to lament the losses too much. But then when you really start looking at the defensive side of the ball, they just added their first pass rusher and they've missed out on two linebackers that they were really keen on with Curtis and Troy Bulls. The Bulls commitment to Georgia, everything's verbal right now. So it is what it is. But that one was not a surprise. It was not unexpected. Florida kid. He had been in, interested in Georgia for quite a while. Tackett Curtis was kind of right there for the taking. It seems like until USC really came on late and continued to put effort and time in with him. So when you look at Jim Knowles's addition to the staff, he's the defensive coordinator, but he's also the linebacker guy. He's going to coach that position up along with some of the analysts and assistants that he had brought in. Now it's kind of like, okay, what is Jim Knowles doing on the recruiting front? It doesn't really taper off my excitement for his addition as a whole, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed in the lack of linebacker recruiting. I am still very big on Arvell Reese. I think he's a really good athlete. I like that he's a Cleveland Glenville kid. Hopefully they can reel him in, or I think they're in real trouble at linebacker. But, uh, you know, Curtis and Bowles, two big losses, two really good players. And I, I don't really see that changing. The Georgia commitment, especially for Bowles, seems 100% firm. 
Curtis, who knows, maybe it could be a late flip situation because it seemed like it came down to two schools, really, when you looked at it. But right now, they've got nothing to show for it at that position. And as, as far as Caleb Downs goes, I don't want to sit here and minimize the fact that he is verbally or is it's looking like he is going to verbally commit to Alabama. I don't want to minimize it at all and be one of those guys who's like, oh, whatever. It's um, it's his loss, not Ohio State's. He's a great player, and he would have been a huge, huge addition to this class. But I, I'm not reaching for the panic position at that safety uh, position. I'm sorry, because I think they've done really well in the secondary as a whole. They've added other corners, other safeties. So it's a big loss, but I just kind of chalk that up to one of those things that it happens, right? You're in it till the end and nothing's final yet. So we'll have our fingers crossed, but uh, I wasn't surprised by that one either. It, it stings. It doesn't take the sting out of that, but I think they can regroup there and they've got plenty of talent coming in and they've got some, uh, you know, some young guys already in the fold. So not too worried about the safety position. Linebacker, though, is a completely different story for me. Yeah, you know, it, it's tough to lament losing guys to Alabama. You know, until Nick Saban retires, that's just something that's going to happen, especially a player, you know, at the caliber of a Caleb Downs, you know, one of the top safeties in the country, like you said, not to downplay, you know, his abilities or anything about him specifically, but that's just kind of the, the way of the road in the recruiting game when it comes to Alabama and things of that nature. But, you know, we, we talked a little bit before the podcast, Josh and I, about Ohio State's linebacker recruiting and you know, you look at last year, Ohio State did bring in two really big names with C.J. Hicks, obviously the, the leader of that class, a five-star guy, and then also Gabe Powers, another blue-chip type of, of, of player at that position. So it's not like Ohio State is, is certainly hurting for young talent at linebacker right now, especially since they're going to be moving to a 4-2-5 and having less of those guys on the field at once. They bring back a lot of experience from last year's team in addition, so... It's certainly not like this was a a massive need for Ohio State in this class, but it is something where, you know, given what we've seen on the field the last couple of years, to have your new defensive staff come in and, and whiff on a couple of big targets at linebacker, it is a little bit troubling. And, and you know, like Josh said, they are still in on, on four-star linebacker Arvell Reese, who's an in-state guy. You know, his recruitment becomes really super important for Ohio State now as likely, you know, the, the top remaining player on the board at that position. Um, they're also st- still in on some other big names on the defensive side of the ball, you know, guys like uh five-star defensive end Mateo Uyunglele. They're also in on four-star linebacker Darian Gallette, who's a, a Texas guy. He's got some crystal balls to Texas, but it seems like Ohio State's coming on a bit late there. Maybe they could they could stem the tide a bit and steal him away from the Longhorns in the end. But yeah, you know, it, it's not what you want to see. You don't want to hit the panic button on a number one class in the country. But when you look across the board now, you know, their top four players in this class are all on offense. They've got the three wide receivers and an offensive tackle um, as their top four guys. And you know, for Ohio State these past few years, offense hasn't been the problem. They've needed to get better on defense. And I don't know, you know, how much they brought in a guy like Jim Knowles as, as a recruiter. I think they brought him in more as, as a scheme guy and more as a guy to to fix their problems on the field. And they have other guys to kind of handle bringing the talent off the field. But you do hate to see, you know, it seemed like he put in a ton of time into trying to land tackle Curtis. He told Curtis, you know, how important he was to the program for him to wind up at USC does sting. But you know, not not the end of the world. It's not great. It's not it's not what you want to see for Ohio State. But there's still guys out there. They're still pursuing other big talents on the defensive side of the ball. And hopefully, you know, with if they're able to, you know, improve their play on the field this year, maybe that'll attract more targets in in future classes. It's funny when the number twenty two ranked guy at any position becomes a must get. But I think that Arvell Reese is just that. I, I think that you can't put up a donut. You can't bring in zero players at any position, in my opinion, during any recruiting class. And that goes for quarterback. There's only one of those guys on the field. That goes for um, really just about any position. Like I said, it goes for center. You know what I mean? Like you want guys who along the offensive line who have maybe snapped a ball a time or two, right? You can't just get a guy potentially at one position. And that could be the position that Ohio State finds itself in if they're only able to reel in Arvell Reese, but I think he becomes a must. And you mentioned Darian Gallette. Ohio State is at least in his final three, and he's an exciting player, sort of an edge guy potentially, who can get after the the quarterback, maybe play that that jack position or something if Ohio State were able to land him. But I, I think that their chances are are dwindling. He's got two crystal balls to Texas, so 
I'd like to see them be able to flip him, but Reese is a must. And you're right. You know, offense has not been the problem. It's been defense. And you look at the class right now, they've got some exciting prospects, especially in the secondary. But I think they have a lot of work to do in a short period of time, relatively up front in the front six, front seven, whatever you want to call it. So you can't look at this class and point out the fact that it's the number one ranked class in the country right now and call it anything uh, resembling a disappointment, but I think it's fair to have a little bit of concern about the defensive side of the ball until if or when they're able to add to the collection that they're bringing in. So a lot of time still, and, and, and really none of this stuff is official. Even the guys that have verbally committed to Ohio State, they could flip. So I hope that they keep battling, keep trying, keep contacting the recruits when they can to potentially sway somebody who is right now committed elsewhere. But um, yeah, we'll see. This is definitely a slower time for recruiting, but maybe Ohio State can throw out a boom or two unexpectedly and uh, keep themselves there at the top. Yeah, nothing in recruiting is, is ever certain until, you know, the pen is put to paper. We've still got, what, like four or five months until National Signing Day. So a lot could happen between now and then. Uh, but, yeah, for right now, that's kind of where Ohio State's at. They've got the number one class in the country, but there's still, you know, room for concern. And that's just kind of, you know, when you're the spoiled type of, you know. They've got, like, the number one offensive class and the number, like, 40th defensive class. And somehow the average is number one. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there's there's still a lot of time for them to add some big names here and there um, at important positions and I'm sure that they're you know working tirelessly to try to fill some of those spots the rest of the way so you know we'll, we'll keep you updated on everything that happens and, and like you said you know any you know at, recruiting is a crazy game at the end of the day it's it's you know you're, you're talking about high school kids making huge decisions that, that impact their lives and so you know things can change think guys can flip from here to there um, any number of things could happen really the rest of the way so We'll be sure to keep you updated on all of that and all the latest on Ohio State recruiting as we have all offseason. But Josh, are you ready to talk about the real exciting part of today? And that is some Nebraska and Rutgers football. Surprisingly, I am. And you and I talked about this before we started recording the pod. I think that both of these teams are interesting in different ways. I'm much higher on one than the other, but I think there's a lot to talk about and a lot to get into. So I'm definitely looking forward to it, even though... Probably not the two highest profile teams in the Big Ten. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, for sure. You know, as we said last week, we are working in, you know, reverse order of last year's Big Ten standing. So after we hit on Indiana and Northwestern last week, we are up to Nebraska and Rutgers this week. Um, and so we'll start here with Nebraska. And then, you know, as is the case with most of these teams in these early previews, they were not very good in the 2021 season, uh, coming off a 3-9 and nine record overall, just 1-8 and eight in conference play with their only win there um, being Northwestern, who, as we talked about last week, was, was even worse than North Nebraska was. Um, but the interesting thing about Nebraska is that every single one of their losses last year was by nine points or less. Their 26-17 to 17 loss Virtually to Virtually impossible, State, by yeah, the way. It, they, they were simply so just allergic to winning games. Um, their 26-17 to 17 loss to Ohio State was their worst losing margin of the season. All eight of their other losses were by one possession. They were in a ton of games late, but just could not finish. They had no real source of consistent offense, especially when they needed it most. Um, you look to, you know, a lot of when that times you look to the quarterback play. Adrian Martinez, uh, despite being in the program forever, just never really seemed to be the type of guy they want him to be. He threw 14 touchdowns to 10 picks last year, um, and it, I'm not, you know, not saying it was all his fault, but he had some really bad turnovers and some bad decisions late in games, and, and really at the worst times, and it, it kind of led to Nebraska's downfall. But it, it is really interesting to be in so many one-score games and not be able to win any of them. Um, and so you'd think with a program like that, when you were seemingly so close to a, a much better record than you were last year, you'd be kind of desperate and for a bump in play this year, even if you know you didn't make big additions. But as we'll get to in a little bit, I think Nebraska has gotten better, and we will see a little bit better play than that. At least they won't. You know, they're not going to go zero and eight in one score games next year. I would imagine. No, like I said, virtually impossible. And I'll go a little bit further. I do think you can place quite a bit of the blame at the feet of Adrian Martinez, and clearly nothing personal against the guy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but. When your defense holds teams to, um, gosh, I, I had it here. I think it was like 23 points a game. I'll find it eventually. But when you've got a solid enough defense, but you still lose nine single-digit uh, point games, I think that a lot of that does come down to the offense and an inability to execute either in general or at the right time. So, again, like 
I, I don't want to crap on anybody, but I, I do think that the Adrian Martinez moving on, I think he's at Kansas State, if I'm not mistaken, or flirted with Kansas State. Um, I, I, I don't know. I had something written down about that. Sorry if I don't have all the notes in front of me right now. But I think that it could be addition by subtraction at the quarterback position because I do think that he held them back a little bit. And since then, they've brought in some solid transfers. We'll get to their schedule. But I'll, I'll put it out there right now. I expect a solid season from the Cornhuskers. I really do. I could see them winning seven or eight games, maybe more. Doesn't necessarily change the perception I have of Scott Frost, but I don't think that they can be this bad for this long. You know what I mean? Like it's been a number of years now since Nebraska has really been competitive, uh, especially since they've joined the big 10. So I I think they'll start to turn it around. I I don't know what the number is to make Nebraska fans and like their administration happy. You know, if, if Scott Frost goes seven and five, is that enough to save his job after all these years of, borderline ineptitude I don't know but I do expect them to be a much better team and for me I'll just jump into it I think it starts on the offense you know they brought in Casey Thompson who is a legit quarterback and a big upgrade over Martinez in my opinion he was at Texas last year the starter 24 touchdowns to only nine picks my question is can he and Scott Frost get on the same page honestly I did not watch a ton of Texas football last year But I have watched enough Scott Frost and Nebraska football to know that he has a certain style, right? He likes a mobile quarterback, a running quarterback. He'll do some, uh, you know, some things with misdirection and option and things like that. So uh, I don't know if he and Casey Thompson will gel right away, but they've had plenty of time, obviously, and will have more time during the offseason. I think it's interesting. They've got some dual threat depth behind Thompson. If those if coach and quarterback don't necessarily come together and one of those guys is Florida state transfer Chubba Purdy all time name guy. So like I said, I'm not super familiar with Casey Thompson, but I don't think he's nearly as mobile as Adrian Martinez. Whereas the second and third um, string guys, at least the way it's projected right now, they are more that mobile type, but I I think that he can bring a a lot of things to the offense. The running game wasn't great last year, but Martinez was sort of a big cloud looming over that, I think, because he wanted to run the ball constantly. But they've got Ramir Johnson and Jaquez Yant should be healthy. He's a guy who only played six games last year, but he is a load. He's uh, like six foot, six one, 235 pounds. He was a former walk on. He averaged 6.3 yards per carry when he was healthy last year. So they've got some guys back there with some talent. And I'll keep going to wide receiver position. They lost Samari Torre, who was their leading wide receiver. But they added Trey Palmer from LSU. Now, Trey Palmer was a big-time recruit. He was the number two athlete in the 2019 class. He had 350-ish yards for LSU last year. But he also added two kick return touchdowns throughout his LSU career. So an exciting guy. And they've got Omar Manning back, too, who is 6'4", 225, big target, had nearly 400 yards last year. So if Casey Thompson can get on the same page with his coach and those two guys at wide receiver combine that with a little bit of running game, I think their offense could be much improved from what we saw last year. Yeah, for sure. You know, you hit on a bunch of stuff there. Like you did, I did want to, yeah, Adrian Martinez is now at Kansas State. So kind of a, a mutual parting of ways there between quarterback and program. Um, you know, you brought up Scott Frost. Uh, he is yet to have a winning record in his four years at Nebraska. Things have not gone quite so well since his 13-0 campaign at, at UCF in 2017. Uh, his best season at Nebraska was 5-7 and seven in 2019. And since then, they've gone 3-5 and five, um, in the COVID-shortened season and 3-9 and nine last year. Um, as a result, he's replaced all of his offensive staffers but one. I believe the last remaining guy was his tight ends coach. Um, and he's also relinquished play calling duties to his new offensive coordinator, Mark Whipple, who just came over from Pitt. Um, so they're hoping to see some improvement there. So that tells there. you they're probably going to throw the ball a lot, which would be a change from what we've seen in the past, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, obviously, you know, Pitt coming off a really good season with um, Kenny Pickett and and uh, Jordan Addison, who neither of which are still there. And now Mark Whipple's at Nebraska. So maybe a bit of a change of, of offensive play calling and, and just scheme on that side of the ball and I think that's a good way to go because you look at you know you brought up Casey Thompson I think this is a really big addition for Nebraska brings a ton of 
ton of experience over from Texas. He played in all 12 games last year, completed over 63% of his passes for 2,100 yards, uh, 24 touchdowns, 9 picks. Uh, should be a pretty significant improvement uh, over Martinez at the position, at the very least with his arm. Um, and, you know, if all goes well there, he could very well be, you know, the second or third best quarterback in the Big Ten if he does wind up panning out for them. Um, but That's rough. Yeah, no, it's it's not the, – the Big Ten is not a, a very quarterback-heavy league right now, as, as we will see as we go through the rest of these previews. But you also brought up the rushing game. Uh, you know, Martinez also led the team in rushing last year, which isn't really what you want to see for this Nebraska team. But they do return their top running back in Ramir Johnson, like you said. Um, he'll need to improve a little bit. He averages 4.4 yards per carry last season with just under 500 yards and four touchdowns. But maybe with, you know, a, a different scheme of offense, they'll open that up a little bit. Um, their, their offensive line – uh, should be a little bit interesting as well. Um, they lost their best offensive lineman, Cam Jurgens, to the NFL. He was actually a second round pick to the Eagles. Um, but they they are and and both of their starting tackles uh, missed spring practice with injuries. So not what you want to see. They do have some solid experience across the board elsewhere, but they do have a, a couple of question marks up front. So I am a little bit concerned about the running game there. Um, but like you said, you know they have some interesting options at wide receiver. Samari Torre um, is a big loss. He's now with the Packers, but. And uh, also their their second leading receiver was their tight end, Austin Allen, who is also now gone for the NFL. Um, so their their leading receiver they're returning is Omar Manning, um, who he had 26 catches for 380 yards and a pair of touchdowns last season. He is a pretty big dude at six foot four, so a pretty big receiving option there. Um, they're expecting Alante Brown, who only caught three balls last year, to see significant action, um, likely as a as a slot guy at five foot eleven. So they've got options in the passing game. I do like Casey Thompson, and I do think, like you said, um, there's a chance we see some offensive production there that we didn't see in previous years. But I, I am a little bit concerned about that offensive line in the running game. If they do become, you know, too one-dimensional, we saw what could happen to a team, you know, like Ohio State when you become too one-dimensional. And Ohio State's obviously on a much higher plane talent-wise. So I am concerned a little bit about the offense if they can't, you know, block, which has been, you know, a, a problem for Nebraska over the past couple of years as well. Block or protect, right? Bringing in a new quarterback, you've got to make sure that he's comfortable back there with, I I don't want to say it's an upgrade at receiver, but probably not much of a drop-off by bringing in Palmer. So if you're kind of even at that wide receiver position and you think you've got an upgrade at quarterback and you can piece it together at running back, you're right. I think that the offensive line might make or break their success or lack thereof. Uh, I would imagine that they just, they, by default, they have to be a better offense uh, compared to what we saw last year, but it will come down to those guys up front. I think they have three fifth-year seniors somewhere along the line or at certain places along the offensive line. So you're right. I don't think that you can sort of understate the importance of that offensive line, but I do think they've upgraded pretty much everywhere else with the exception of tight end. Uh, I forgot about Austin Allen, big dude. If I'm not mistaken, he was like six, seven big pass catching tight end. He was a good player. So all in all though, I think that if you compare the offenses, you have to call it an upgrade. And I think that goes for the offensive coordinator as well, just based on what we saw the previous season. So I expect a lot more from them. And I think that's why I'm so high on the team. I don't know if so high is the right way to put it, but I think that it will be much improved. And then you combine that with the defense, which I know we're going to get to. I think they're at least in a better spot going into the season than the way they ended 2021. So hopefully they're able to, I guess, reap the benefits of those new additions. Yeah, I mean, I mean, quarterback play goes a long way in college football, especially, you know, uh, you know, with the way that uh, Nebraska looked under Adrian Martinez, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't really a good college offense. And now bringing a guy like Casey Thompson with experience, if he could take that next step, I think that'll do wonders for Nebraska's offense. And you talk about uh, their defense. Do you think, yeah, Gene? Sorry, real quick. So, do you think that Chris, or I'm sorry, Scott Frost gives full control to the new offensive coordinator? Because I I wasn't super familiar with their situation last year, but I feel like the offense that we saw was a Scott Frost type of offense, and maybe he was just like minded with his former offensive coordinator, but with bringing in this new guy who, um, you know, pit threw the ball all over the yard last year. Do you think that he will relinquish control and let the Nebraska offense, I don't know, kind of get into the 
the new era of college football where they're throwing the ball a lot? Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how it plays out. You know, he ha- he is going to let Mark Whipple call plays. I'm sure Scott Frost will still have um, a significant hand in how a lot of the things on offense works. He is an offensive guy at the end of the day. But, you know, I'm not expecting Nebraska to come out here and, and enact the air raid like, like uh, you know, uh, Mississippi State or whatnot. But um, That's fair. Yeah, I think it'll be different. I think you'll see. I don't know if Casey Thompson is as mobile as Adrian Martinez. I imagine he is nowhere near that kind of style of quarterback. Um, so I, I imagine you'll see a lot less of the quarterback run. And I, you know, based on what they have at running back, you talk about a guy like Yant who maybe could be an impressive piece back there. But um, I don't know if they have a ton that they're really high on in the running back room. So I think this will be a team that will see throw a lot more than they did in 2021. And with you know the receiver room they have, it should be pretty decent. Um, you know, they, they have pieces there that could work out. You know, missing Torre is big, but they have some other guys there to pick up some of that slack. And I, I do think the offense should be better than it was a year ago. And, and I think that at least, you know, at the end of the day, maybe the turnovers will be at minimum just less. You know, there was too many, far too many turnovers for Nebraska last year, seemingly always at the worst possible time in games. And I think having a guy with experience like Casey Thompson um, and other guys around him will, will help out in that area. So should be an improvement. I think that's a huge point to bring up, actually. And I'm glad that you did the turnovers were the death of Nebraska's offense last year and really the the death of Nebraska's team. So I think that's a good point by you to bring up the uh, proclivity for Adrian Martinez to turn the ball over consistently and consistently at the wrong time. So that's another thing that should be working in their favor if they're able to take better control of the ball yeah and like we said before like you've brought up uh you know when you were talking about the team their defense last year wasn't terrible they're about middle of the pack in the conference um last season on defense and they return a a ton of experience at linebacker four of their four of their top five tacklers from a year ago are back uh linebackers luke reimer and nick henrick led the team with 108 and 99 tackles respectively both of them are back uh reimer also had an interception six pass breakups and three force fumbles so really a do-it-all guy for them in the middle of the defense uh outside linebackers garrett nelson and caleb tanner are also back in 2022 Nelson had a team high 11 and a half tackles for loss and five sacks last year. Tanner also added five and a half tackles for loss and a pair of sacks. So a lot of good production at that linebacker position. And they also bring back cornerback Quinton Newsom, who had 57 tackles and four pass breakups a year ago. Unfortunately for Nebraska, that is where the experience ends on defense. They are basically going to have to rebuild their entire defensive line. Um, Ty Robinson played in 11 games last season, but only started four. And he's really the only significant returner uh, among the group. They brought in some guys. They brought in Ochon Mathis from TCU, who had two sacks a year ago from the Horn Frogs. Um, but for a team that ranked 12th in the Big Ten last year in sacks with only 17, having to rebuild uh, your entire defensive line pretty much from scratch without a ton of you know high-end talent there is not exactly what you want. Um, their secondary should be decent. They, uh, Cam Taylor and Deontay Williams were both excellent for Nebraska in 2021. They're now gone. Um, but you know, they have some other guys that they're, they're high on, but they're not a lot of experience. Once again, much like the defensive line, um, outside of Newsom, who I talked about before, uh, safety miles farmer is the only other guy at the position with starting experience. Um, and, and Braxton Clark is really the only guy, other guy in the room with notable game experience. So, you know, as a defense as a whole, linebackers should be solid, but everything else, um, it could take a step back and it's, it's kind of up in the air right now. A lot of question marks on this defense, a lot of moving parts, a lot of guys who are seeing their first real game action in the big 10. And so it should be, it could be interesting. I don't know if Nebraska's defense is going to be quite what it was last year. And maybe that kind of evens out with, uh, an improvement on offense and gives us a, a similar Nebraska season to last year. But maybe, you know, some of those question marks are, are better than last year. Like I said, they weren't very good, um, in the sack department last year. Maybe the new look defensive line picks it up a bit. There's a chance for that, but it's just hard to say with, you know, a lack of experience out there it, it i talked about ohio state as having the silver bullets and nebraska had the black shirts this is not the black shirts defense that they've had in years past but I, i'm with you i do think they have some good units specifically at linebacker like you brought up and i like the sort of scheme they run i, I think if they would tell you it's a three four but it's sort of an odd three four right they have a, an outside linebacker who is essentially an edge rusher and then last year they had jojo Demon listed outside linebacker, but he was really sort of a nickel safety. So like I said, they run a three, four, but it's sort of a funky three, four. I like that alignment. I like that defense. They were able to hold opponents to 22.7 points per game last year. I told you I was going to find that number. And like you said, they returned four of their top five tacklers. So I think they've got the pieces there, 
but it is sort of wild. I realized in my notes, I did not write down a single thing about their defensive line, probably for good reason. I did not realize that they finished 12th in the conference in sacks last year. Um, I don't know what their sort of upward trajectory is with so with such minimal experience, but at least they've got the linebackers there to back it up. And then in the secondary, you're right, Quint Newsom, good ball player. They lost Cam Taylor Britt to my Cincinnati Bengals, who I hope is a heck of a rookie for them. He was a good kind of stabilizing force for them last year. But they did bring in Tommy Hill, a guy from Arizona State. Um <clears throat> He was a four-star recruit in the 2021 class, went to Arizona State, left after a year. He was recruited by Alabama, Auburn, some other big schools. So I don't have his stats written down. I don't know how much he played at Arizona State last year, but I did did at least take note of his recruiting profile. Clearly a talented guy. So if he can play on the other side across from Quentin Newsom, they've got their corners. They need to figure out that safety position. But even at their worst, Nebraska has somehow figured out a way to piece together a decent defense in recent years. And I remember writing during a preview last year about the Nebraska defense. Those linebackers are really good. And to bring essentially all of them back, with the exception of uh, JoJo Demon, that's going to be big for them. That's a stabilizing unit that can help the front and back ends. So if they're able to replicate what they did last season, or, you know, even if they keep opponents under 30 points per game and the offense is able to sort of rise up, then it's like you said, they kind of, they level each other out and then hopefully for, you know, for them and their fans find more success record wise. And I think that they will. Um, I don't know if you had any more notes or anything you want to talk about for the defense, but I, I look at that schedule And I think that's going to work out really well in their favor. You and I talked about it before the pod. They've got a favorable schedule early on, and I think that adds to why I'm so high on the Cornhuskers. Yeah, you know, as we look at at Nebraska's schedule and just the team overall, um, it, it like we said, it seemed like they weren't too far away last season. They just needed a couple of things to break their way, and it could have been completely different. But now, you know, a lot has changed. A lot of the coaching staff, a lot of the players on both sides of the ball have changed. Um, I have my concerns on on both sides of the line, which is not places you want to have concerns. You, you know, you hear all the time games are won in the trenches, and Nebraska has a, a ton of question marks on both sides of the trenches. So that's not what you're really looking for. They also have, you know, some questions on the back end of that secondary. Um, but the linebacker group is really solid. I'm sure, you know, Ohio State would love to have a linebacker group with that kind of a pedigree returning. Um, and I expect big big improvement in terms of quarterback play with Thompson. So I think they have room for improvement there. And like you said, the schedule does does play out pretty favorably for them. They miss Ohio State and Michigan State on the crossover games. Um, and they start out with some very winnable games at the beginning of the year. They play Northwestern in, in Dublin. And then they have four straight home games against North Dakota, Georgia Southern, uh, Oklahoma, and Indiana. So besides the Sooners there... Um, all pretty winnable games, and then they play at Rutgers in their sixth game of the year. So there's a very good chance that Nebraska starts the year at five and one, if you know if everything goes their well goes their way. And then you know they end the season um, at Michigan, home against Wisconsin, and then at Iowa. So probably three losses there. But if they could pick up some wins in the middle, this could be a, a bowl team. Absolutely, and I have them pegged at like seven or eight wins if I had to predict right now. But it's funny we trashed. Northwestern on our last pod, right? And that's who Nebraska plays to open the season in Ireland. Like you said, all of the good momentum that we think that Nebraska has and all of the additions they've made, it would be sort of funny if they were to drop that game to a team that we trashed last week. I don't know if Scott Frost would be able to jump on the plane back to the United States if they're able to drop that one, but I'm with you. I think they win that one. I think they win most of their early games. The Oklahoma game would be a loss for me um, going against Nebraska. You mentioned also the the end of their schedule, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa. That's going to be tough, but they're in the middle. Uh, I don't want to go through their whole schedule, but they've got Purdue. They've got Nebraska. They've got Minnesota. Definitely some winnable games. So if they start out, uh, you know, five and one, like you mentioned, as a possibility, pick up a couple other ones. I think eight wins is a very realistic possibility for a team, a program and a coach that really needs to, you know, double or triple the total that we saw from them last year. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that, you know, that's that's pretty much what it would take at this point for Scott Frost to keep his job. I know that they like him and all, but I was going to ask you about that. So so floor is yours. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it would take. Um, I, I think another season, obviously another season like last year, if they go, you know, three and nine, they win one conference game. Uh, I think he's toast. But I, I think if they, you know, if they win six, seven games, they make a bowl game. I think that that's probably enough for them to say, all right, we'll give it another year and just see how it goes. Um, you know, bringing in a guy like Mark Whipple, maybe he could help out on the offensive side of things. They start to maybe build some things on defense as well. Then I think that, you know, the the athletic department could kind of look at the team and say, okay, they're heading in the right direction. They're not there yet, but at least we're seeing improvement year over year where we weren't before. So I think that would probably be good enough. You know, me personally, I don't, I, I think they should have fired him already. Um, but, you know, I, I think if they win six or seven games, I think that's probably enough for him to keep his job. Do you think that's, that's probably about right, Josh? I think it needs to be seven or eight, which I know is not uh, a huge increase over what you suggested. I think it needs to be seven or eight. But I think the one thing that is working in Frost's favor, there's a couple things. You know, obviously the ties to the university, that's huge. But I also think that 2021 works in his favor, as odd as that might sound, because, yes, they went three and nine and they really kind of crapped the bed in winnable games, but I think they also, you know, the administration and whomever, they need to look at it as a bunch of one score losses. So you can almost frame it like he should have been six and six in 2021. And then they improved to eight and four or something like that in 2022. So there are some things working in his favor, although I'm with you. I don't know that I would have kept him around. I, it's great to have a guy from the university coaching his alma mater. And, you know, Scott Frost did some good things in Nebraska, had a ton of ton of success at UCF, but I probably would have cut my losses. I, it probably comes down to, did they have a replacement or somebody in mind to kind of take that job? Maybe they didn't. And so they just decided to kick the can down the road a little bit. I think that's really why he's there is lack of other options but at least you and I are on the boat are on the same page that they need to vastly improve. And it's sort of how do they win and how do they lose at the same time? I, th- I think I think the schedule like the, the way the schedule itself plays out is important. Like you said, if they lose first game of the season to Northwestern, that's a bad look. If they you know, if they somehow lose to like a North Dakota or Georgia Southern, then he's he's firmly on the hot seat. But, you know, like, you know, if they lose games to Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, I don't think anybody's complaining about those losses. But you do have to win the games on the schedule that, you know, going into you're probably going to be the betting favorite in teams that, you know, people expect you to beat. I think he has to win those games at, at the very minimum. And I think they need to avoid embarrassment against some of the better teams on their schedule. You know, Oklahoma, we don't know what they're going to be with Brett Venables and without Caleb Williams or yeah, Caleb Williams, I'm sorry, but we expect them to be good. Right. And then you've got that closing gauntlet. If they go seven and five, but they get their tails handed to them two, three, four times, then I don't know if seven or eight wins is enough because then I think that's sort of your ceiling right? They, they've got a favorable schedule. And if they win those games, but they can't beat the teams or even remain competitive in a way that they were last year, then I think you have to look at it like, okay, seven or eight wins might be our ceiling in this conference, especially because the conference is only getting better. So that's where I think how they win and lose is going to be a big deal as well. Yeah, and especially against those three specific teams, you know, you look at Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa, not exactly three teams that are looked at for their, you know, their strong offensive prowess, not teams that are, are going to put up 50, 60 points on any given week. So if you get blown out by those teams, it's it's not the best look. But yeah, I, I think we're kind of on the same page there, or at least close to it. Um, and I, you know, do we have anything else on Nebraska? I do want to give Rutgers their their fair dues here as, as we uh, go through the conference. No, I do want to get to Rutgers because I don't know if it's uh, your ties to the area, but we talked a little bit before the pod. I think you're a little bit higher on them than I are, than I am. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Rutgers is actually wasn't as bad as, so, as the other three teams that we've previewed so far, at least last season. Um, their two and seven record in the Big Ten wasn't exactly pretty, but they did go five and eight overall. Um, they did de- they beat Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware in the non-conference, and then they opened their their Big Ten slate with just an absolute murderer's row of Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. Um, obviously, all losses. They they made a bowl game sort of. Um, they did lose to Wake Forest in the Gator Bowl, and they were they were only there though because they replaced Texas A and M, who had to withdraw for COVID, and they I think they got sort in based of on is like the 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 lowest qualifier that you. Could could have given there because you're right they they were there not on their own merit that's for sure yeah I, I think they were there on APR scores so basically like they tested well and that's what got them the bid there over AM. but but nonetheless you know <laughs> unlike what we've seen from Scott Frost at Nebraska they are seeing year-over-year improvement under Greg Schiano thus far they went you know, after going one eleven in twenty eighteen and two and ten in twenty nineteen, before he was there, they went three and six in his first year in twenty twenty, and then five and eight last year. So there are, you know, the the wins and the win loss records getting better year over year. Um, Shiano, I think, is very much still in the rebuilding phase there, but it does at least seem like they're they're trending the right way. Um, and I, you know, you look at a team like Rutgers, they're not going to be a team that's going to compete for a Big Ten title anytime soon. But it does look like they're slowly working their way out of the basement at the conference at very minimum. I think that's fair, and it's. It's sort of, um, I don't know if sad is the right word, but it's, uh, I guess, disappointing to me that this is not, it's not the Big Ten of old, and this is not what Greg Schiano coached previously when he was at Rutgers. He found some success. He went to bowl games, and he really had the program on the ascent when he left. And I like Greg Schiano a lot, but in today's college football, today's Big Ten, They've got a, a really tough road ahead of them to really even become relevant. So while I like the coach and I, I agree with you, I think they are on the come up. They've just really got their work cut out for them. And it's hard to bring in the talent that you really need to compete in the Big Ten when you're going up against. I, I like the murderer's row term that you used when you're going up against Ohio State, Michigan, um, even like a Wisconsin, and then you've got a school like USC eventually coming in. Like those teams don't drop off. They might struggle in their terms, but it's not like Ohio State is coming back to the pack with an eight and four season. And that's what Rutgers would sort of hope for, right? So it's hard to bridge that gap, but I like the team. They're always going to be scrappy under Greg Schiano. I, and that's what I wrote down as their defense, scrappy defense, but awful, awful offense is what I have in my notes. Um, and it's similar to a lot of the teams in the bottom half of the Big Ten. They added transfers to address depth and holes, but they need big time improvement, I think, from this offense to even start getting their name in the conversation as relevant. Like, in my opinion, they are very, very far off in the distance only because of that offense and the lack of talent and really the quarterback play, which I know we'll get to with Noah Vidral. Yeah, for sure. If Rutgers is going to continue to improve and they want to take that next step, they will have to be better on offense. This is a team that ranked 120th out of 130 teams in points per game last year with 19.7. You know, Scoring under 20 points a game as a college football team is, is simply not going to cut it on any given week. And so there will be... I think a lot of weight on the shoulders of quarterback Gavin Wimsatt. Um, a, a kind of a big get for Rutgers as a four-star yeah, quarterback yep. prospect out of Kentucky. He was the number 23 quarterback in the 2021 class, number 202 nationally. So, you know, a pretty highly regarded guy as far as Rutgers is concerned. I do believe Wimsatt is the quarterback of the future. Um, you did mention Nova Draw. He is still there. Um, But he's a guy who's really lacked consistency, wasn't very good last year, only threw seven touchdowns with seven picks, completed under 60% of his passes. I guess there's a chance we'll see them in a bit of a timeshare to start the year, but I expect Gavin Wimsatt to be the guy um, moving forward. Um, and, you know, you look around him at the supporting cast. Isaiah Pacheco was really this team's star offensive player for some time, probably really their only star offensive player outside of uh, Bo Melton, uh, who was the wide receiver. Both of them are now gone. 
Uh, Pacheco's now with the Chiefs, Bo Melton with the Seahawks. So two really big guys are going to have to replace on offense. Um, but they are returning the two backs who were behind Pacheco in Kyle Manungai and Aaron Young. Uh, Manungai is a bit smaller of a guy at five foot nine, but he's the better runner of the two. And then Young is kind of the better receiving back of the two, and he's a guy who could also line up in the slot. So we'll likely see both of them getting significant snaps this year. Um, on the receiving side of things, former Wisconsin wide receiver Aaron Cruikshank is returning from a torn ACL after playing only seven games last season. And they did add some other players through the transfer portal as well. They brought in Taj Harris from Syracuse and Sean Ryan for West Virginia. Two guys with a lot of receiving experience at their their previous stops. Harris had over 150 catches and 2,000 yards um, in his four-year career at Syracuse with 10 scores. Uh, Ryan had 1,000 receiving yards and four touchdowns between four years at Temple and WVU. So some veteran players among the group, if they could put it all together, should be pretty decent. Decent. And uh, interestingly enough, they've they've moved quarterback Johnny Langan, who Ohio State fans may remember. They've moved him to tight end. He caught 18 balls for 177 yards in 2021. And he's a bit undersized for a tight end to six foot two, uh, only 235 pounds, and he also could get some snaps at Wildcat quarterback. So a lot of weird stuff going on there with the whole Johnny Langan thing at the tight end position. But um, I think the offensive line is going to be an area where they've really they've aimed to improve this offseason. I think they've done a pretty decent job. They've looked at the transfer portal and recruiting to really rebuild that group, much like Nebraska blocking has been a huge issue for Rutgers recently. So they really looked in to hone in on that. They brought in six new guys up front, um, four transfers and two early enrollments freshman so you know another place where there's a lot of moving parts but I think if you know some of these guys pan out you look at a guy like uh, Willie Tyler from Louisiana Lafayette at six foot seven 325 um, they got a true freshman Kobe Asamoah out of Pickerington Ohio who could crack the starting lineup they brought in a guy like JD DeRozan who was an all-american at the FCS level at Sacred Heart so they've got some really good pieces there along the front and I think they've got some good pieces across the board and with a new quarterback who is you know pretty highly touted as a recruit I think that they could they could very much improve from last season um, which wouldn't be too hard, I guess, when you're 120th out of 130 teams. But I do think this Rutgers offense could have something going. You mentioned timeshare as a possibility. I think it's a necessity. Um, Noah Vidral is going to be entering his sixth season in college football, and his fifth was arguably his worst as a quarterback. You mentioned the stats, under 60% completion percentage. Gosh, you know, if I'm Rutgers and I'm Greg Schiano, why not just turn it over? If you think you've got a quarterback of the future and you're not going to be an 8, 9, 10 win team that's competing for any sort of conference championships, why not cut your losses, in my opinion? And I think that they do. I share the same opinion that you do that you have. I think Gavin Wimsatt can be their quarterback to the future. He's an athletic guy, can potentially be a dual threat. You mentioned he was a four-star recruit, so I'd like to see him get a chance. Uh, if I was a Rutgers fan, I'd really like to see him get a chance to play quarterback. But yeah, the guys around him or Vidral, whoever takes that position, I'm not too enthused with their running game. I think all of their guys were under four yards per carry last year or not, you know, not anything of greater significance. But the wide receiver position, I do find interesting. Krukshank is back for another year. And those transfers you mentioned, I think it's really cool that Shiano went and got guys from the New York, New Jersey area. So Sean Ryan uh, went to West Virginia, but I think he was the New York guy, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, Ryan and Harris are from the New York, New Jersey area. And, um, you know, the West Virginia experience. And then Taj Harris, like you said, nearly 2,000 yards in his first three seasons. He was injured for most of 2021. He could come in and be their number one receiving option right away. He did some good things at Syracuse. So I do think they upgraded significantly there, even if the running game is lagging a little bit behind and the experience along the offensive line. Maybe not the biggest and the best, but they added three, fourth or fifth year transfers to that unit. So they should be able to protect the quarterback a little bit better. And I think that the quarterback, whomever that ends up being, will have better options. It's a matter of how does that quarterback, whoever it is, how do they play? D does Vidral progress? Does the young guy get a chance and give them just sort of a different option, a different look and confuse defenses? I don't know, but I think it all comes down to that position. So the defense is a Greg Schiano defense. If we want to flip over to the other side of the ball, they're going to be well coached. They're going to be disciplined. And they, but they lost some things. They really did. They lost, um, gosh, sorry, jostled my notes around some great podcasting right now. But they lost 
Olakunle Fadukasi to the NFL, and he was one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten over the last few seasons. Um, and they also lost their other starting linebackers, Singleton and Fogg, and they lost their best pass rusher in Mohamed Torre to an offseason injury. He was supposed to come back, and uh, I think it was a lower body injury. He's already They've already announced that he's going to be out for the year. So as much as I like Shiano and his methods and his ability to coach up defenses, they lost a lot on that side of the ball. They do bring back two good safeties in Avery Young and Christian Isian, I think is how you pronounce it. They're second and third leading tacklers last year. So they've got some guys in the back end, but a lot of work to do up front. And so it's sort of similar to Nebraska, right? That offense needs to take a big step forward and the defenses just sort of need to keep their head above water and maybe replicate what they did last year. Rutgers was not great on defense last year, but they were, I don't know, passable. And like Nebraska, I think they lost a lot of their games because of their ineptitude on offense. So I see these teams as being very similar. I'm just still higher on Nebraska because of the high-end talent they brought in whereas Rutgers is still stuck with, right now, an underperforming quarterback, and they lost the guys on defense. So a lot of moving parts. I know we wanted to get into Rutgers, and we probably didn't give them enough time or as much time as we did Nebraska, but I think while there are similarities, Rutgers is still lagging behind, and it's because of the quarterback play and the losses where they were better on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like you said, Rutgers defense wasn't stellar in 2021, and they did lose a couple of really big guys there. But they do return some important pieces. Um, They're pretty high on their defensive line, even though they've lost some guys. They have two sophomores, Aaron Lewis and Keontae Hamilton, who they're expecting to have breakout years. They also return two really experienced defensive tackles whose names I'm not going to attempt to pronounce. But they combined for 37 tackles, five tackles for loss, two and a half sacks a year ago. Um, so it should be a, a solid group up front there. Linebacker, like you said, is is going to be a bit of a struggle without Fadakasi, as well as both uh, Moses Walker and Mohamed Torre, who are both out with season-ending injuries. So that's, it comes down to redshirt sophomore Tyreen Powell as the leader of the unit after having just three career starts. So not a ton going on at linebacker, but I am pretty high on that secondary. Uh, Avery Young was the team's second-leading tackler behind Fadakasi last year. He moved from safety to corner, and he's back. Um, both Kesson Abraham and Max Melton return as the starting corners. Um, you brought up Christian Izian or Izian uh, on the back end. He was second last year behind Fadakasi with eight and a half tackles for loss. So some really good returning talent and at the back end of that secondary. So you know uh, pretty much the opposite of Nebraska here. They're the two teams themselves are very similar, but on defense they're almost polar opposites. Where um, Rutgers' defensive line and secondary should be pretty solid, but their linebacker core is kind of a mess. So if they could you know combine teams with Nebraska, they'd have a pretty solid defense going on there. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm higher on this Rutgers team than maybe some others. I think it's largely going to depend on how that offensive line shakes out and if Wimsat is the guy at quarterback. Um, and also kind of unfortunate for Rutgers is that they have a very hard schedule in 2022. So they could be a better team than they were last year, but it might even still be hard to improve on their 5-8 and eight record. Um, you look at some of the, some of the teams they come across. They have non-conference games against Beast, uh, Boston College, Wagner, and Temple, which are, are all sort of winnable games. I think Boston College is the biggest coin flip there. Um, so if they could win that game, they might be able to do some stuff. But then they go to Ohio State, Michigan State, and Minnesota, and Maryland. Uh, so a really tough schedule there again at the beginning of their their Big Ten schedule. Probably all losses there. Maybe they could pull an upset here or there against a, a Minnesota or a Maryland Um then they host Iowa, Michigan, and Penn State. Again, probably all losses. Uh, their best chance at Big Ten wins really are come against Indiana and Nebraska. So even if they sweep the non-conference, they would have to pull some upsets here and there to even reach a bowl game. So even though I am higher on Rutgers, I think that their schedule doesn't break out in a great way. I think that, you know, as uh, among the teams that would benefit most from the Big Ten dissolving divisions, um, I think Rutgers is among them. Like Josh said before, you know, going having to go up against every year Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, you know, teams that even on their worst years are still better than most teams. It's not exactly conducive to Rutgers' success. So while I am maybe high on them, I don't know if that's going to play out in the standings. Yeah, I, I want to get my prediction out of the way, and then I've got a question for you, Gene. So I see this Rutgers team is a four win football team. You know, Wagner and Temple, those should be foregone conclusions. Uh, I see them adding one or two more. If they went three and nine, I wouldn't be shocked. So it leads into my question. 
and, and I don't want to make every pod and every team discussion about a coach staying or moving on, but it seems like a trend now with Pat Fitzgerald, Scott Frost, Greg Schiano we're talking about now. A, do you think Greg Schiano is long for this job? And B, what's his motivation to stick around? You know, I, I get that he loves the university. He loves the area. But when I compare the guys that we've talked about today, Scott Frost is still a younger guy, hopefully working his way up. Greg Schiano probably took Rutgers to heights that will be difficult for them to reach again, at least anytime soon. And then spent the time at Ohio State. He's a he's a highly respected football coach. And so if you're you're grinding to win four or five or maybe even six games at Rutgers at his age and with his sort of resume, like I said, like what's the motivation to continue going when you could go to probably not Ohio State, but you could go to a Bama, an LSU, a Clemson, a something like that, be a defensive coordinator for a really, really good football team and coach some really, really good football players. I I question the motivation. I don't knock him for it. He clearly loves what he does, and I understand some of the reasons. But I know that's a loaded question, Gene. Do you think he's sticking around for the long term? And if you do, why do, why do you think he continues to do it? Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, Shiano will be here for pretty much as long as he wants. I think that, you know, while the results may not come right away, I do think that he has, you know, his, his current team really bought into his, what he's trying to do there. I think they're really embracing their kind of New Jersey roots. I think we've seen some of that in uh, the recruiting aspect where he's kind of bringing in more of those guys from the area. Like you said, even in the transfer portal, he brought in some guys from that New York, New Jersey area. So I think a lot of that is going a long way. And I, I think that both, you know, the players and the athletic department are both very high on what Shiano is doing. And while, you know, the results might not come as fast as they would want, we've kind of talked about the the shortcomings that Rutgers has just kind of built into their what they are as a program and so I'm not I don't think they're really expecting Shiano to lead Rutgers to a Big Ten title you know anytime in the next you know three to five years but I do think that they like what he's doing I think he really just enjoys being at Rutgers we know what he's been able to do there previously and now that he's returned I don't know if he's you know, a, a guy that's on many people's radars as a defensive coordinator because of how poorly his you know his stint ended at Ohio State but um I don't, I don't know. I, I think he just really loves the university and loves being there. And I think that he's enjoying uh, being the head coach at Rutgers. I think that Rutgers is enjoying having him as the head coach. And I think that, you know, even if they do have um, a, a tough season this year where they win, you know, three or four games only, I, I think he is, I don't think he's anywhere near the hot seat just yet. I think they're still very much in the honeymoon phase with this. And I think that, you know, as long as things are, are at least somewhat trending in the right direction, I think that he's, he can stay there as long as he wants. And I think those are all fair points. And like I said, I don't want to, um, you know, belittle the university, belittle Craig Schiano, anything like that. It's just, I guess I think more highly of the coach than I do of the team. And I just look at the road that they have ahead. I, if you compare him to a Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, I think that they, it's, it's a similar situation. Kirk Ferentz probably has a job at Iowa as long as he wants every eight win season gets him another five-year contract extension. But at least that team in that school, they've experienced success. They won a Big Ten uh, regular season title, and they're, they're competitive on an annual basis, whereas Rutgers, like I said, they're, they're, they're scratching and they're clawing to get to relevance, relevancy or bowl consideration. So that's why I have the question, but gosh, you know, if I could coach football for a living, I would do it in a heartbeat, even if we went 0-12 every year. I don't know how my job security would be, but um, I, I hope Rutgers is better. I hope that they do improve. I'm all for a competitive Big Ten, and you're right. They got the tough end of the draw being in the Big Ten East where they go up against the sort of traditional powerhouses. Who knows what it will look like in a couple of seasons with two, at least two new teams added into the fold, but um, to me, still, at the end of the day, it's a three or four win football team. The schedule definitely plays a big part in that. Even some of their quote-unquote more winnable games, you know, Minnesota on the road, uh, they Maryland on the road. So the games that could maybe push them to a five, six, seven win season 
are not going to be easy just because of the environment, the atmosphere, and all those things. So um, right now, between the four teams that we've discussed, it seems like I'm only expecting real noticeable improvement from one. So I don't know what that says for the rest of our previews, but I think it's uh, it's fair to say that the first four teams that we've covered we do not expect the Michigan State jump. Is that fair, Gene, that we don't expect any of these four teams, with the exception of maybe Nebraska to get in that seven-win neighborhood? I don't think we see that huge leap like we did with Mel Tucker and Michigan State. Yeah, I, I think Nebraska, purely by virtue of playing in the Big Ten West, probably has the, the higher trajectory of these two teams. And then, you know, like you said, of the four, not exactly four, you know, very much uh, optimism-inspiring teams. I do promise at some point we will get to Big Ten teams that we are optimistic about. Um, I'm not quite sure if it'll be next week because looking at our standings here as we continue in reverse order, it will be Maryland and Illinois. So It won't be next week then, yeah. Gene. It won't be next <laughs> potentially interesting teams i guess but i guess we'll see once we we dive into the numbers here a bit and look at what they've got going on but but nonetheless you know like i said last week um we are not the the utmost experts on either of these teams nebraska or rutgers so like i did last week i'll, I'll kind of direct you over to to their sb nation sister sites if you want to get a bigger look at what what they've got going on so i believe nebraska is uh corn nation and rutgers is on the banks so be sure to check them out um if you're looking for more in-depth stuff on both nebraska and rutgers um like corn I said, nation we'll be, hell of a blog name by uh, the way yeah great corn i mean you had to nebraska had to go with the corn they're the corn huskers they had to had to go for it there's some really good uh really good sb nation sister site names as I, as I look through some of the college sites. But nonetheless, um, Langard Holand's a pretty good one as well. I, I like that one personally. Um, nothing to do with my, my bias or standing here. Uh, but nonetheless, um, Josh, I think, we're, I think we're all set for this week. I think we've got um, – we're really slogging through the bottom half of the Big Ten here, but it will pick up uh, shortly because, you know, I'm just looking at the rest of the standings here. After Maryland and Illinois, we have, you know, Penn State, Purdue. That should be pretty fun. Then you got Michigan State, Minnesota, and then you know we're gonna leave Ohio State for last. So it'll probably be, uh, we'll probably finish out on Iowa and Wisconsin, then maybe do separate ones on Michigan and Ohio State. We'll see how that kind of breaks down as we get closer and closer to the season. But I do promise there will be better football teams coming. We're eating our vegetables right now. That's the best way to put it. Uh, the bottom of the Big Ten. I talked about it on a previous pod. It's likely to be rough sledding for all of those teams, but also you know like I brought up before. I think the middle gets very, very interesting. So I think that we'll probably be more optimistic moving forward, although I've tried with Scott Frost and Greg Schiano. I think the the sort of the meat in the middle of the conference will have a lot of different talking points. And I'm very much looking forward to kind of previewing and talking about the upper echelon teams and the teams that could have that Michigan State turnaround and compete for a title really unexpectedly. I think we'll have... Um, a lot of cool stuff to talk about for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So when next week when we predict Illinois to win the Big Ten West, you'll you'll hear it here first. Um, but but that being Not said, as long as Brett Bielema is there, we we probably could have knocked Illinois out first if we're being completely <laughs> honest. And that's a bit of a preview for next week. I hope I've got your attention. I'm ready for it. So yeah, like like Josh said, we will be back next week with more Big Ten previews, as we will do every week leading up to the regular season. Um, and yeah, be sure to you know check out all of our written stuff over at LangerholeOn.com for all the latest on Ohio State specifically. But yeah, so we'll we'll be back. Um, I'm trying to think of any other stuff that I wanted to say, but I think we're we're pretty much good here. We've got four teams down, a bunch still to go. We won't be previewing uh, USC and UCLA just yet, but maybe maybe in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're on our way. Uh, like I, I've said a couple of times, I, I promise it gets better. The teams get better and the, the previews get better as we go. Um, so be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff that all your podcasts ask you to do. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.